what they're telling you is you want to do a Bretton Woods where we can all agree to stabilize our currencies and do massive printing. Christ, if you're after a better case for Bitcoin, I've never heard of one. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all? And welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Real Vision co-founder Rao Powell. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up today, we're going to talk about Casa, who are the best in Bitcoin security. And quite interestingly, I've had quite a few people reaching out to me and asking me about Casa recently. You know, with Bitcoin performing so well, over $13,500 and everything looking like we might have a bull run soon. I think some of you are starting to think about your security and think about this in advance, which is a good thing. I left it so long for me. It was about a year when I was thinking about I needed to get my shit together. So I did reach out to Casa a good few months ago now. I reached out to Nick and I reached out to Lop and said, listen, I need to get this sorted. And they helped set me up. And ever since then, I've just had so much peace of mind knowing that my Bitcoin is protected, not only from hackers and in-person attacks and device failures, but from my own personal mistakes, which we know can happen. Now, with Casa being so badass, they do have a product for every Bitcoiner out there. With Casa Gold, you do get triple the security of a single hardware wallet, and it's only going to cost you $10 a month. So that one is a bit of a no-brainer. But if you want something a bit more secure, you can go for what I have, which is Casa Platinum, where you get their 3 or 5 multi-sig. Now that is the best protection for large Bitcoin holders. And with Casa Diamond, you get their full service offering. And you know what? I've been thinking about upgrading to this because it does come with a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, as well as the security which I am used to. So yes, I'm going to be checking that out myself. But it is a good time now to be thinking about your security. It's a good time to be thinking about Casa. You can find out more at keys.casa or you can reach out to me. Ask me privately what I think about it. Feel free to reach out to me about that. Also, let's talk about sportsbet.io with the football season back in swing and sadly another lockdown coming in the UK. I'm going to be sat there watching a lot of football again. Loving having the season back. It's a bit weird without crowds, but with Liverpool top of the table, it's hard not to enjoy it. We've also had the return of both the Champions League and the Europa League, and I think we all expect Liverpool are going to win the Champions League too. So with that, Sportsbet have welcomed back these competitions with special offers for you footy lovers out there. They are offering a number of missions whereby if you hit a streak during the competition that you can win up to one Bitcoin in cash prizes. So if you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions and sportsbet.io is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Okay, so onto the show today and I'm joined by my buddy Rao Pau. A few days ago, Rao put a really interesting thread up on Twitter where he was discussing central bank digital currencies and the IMF's recent announcement about the possibility of a new Bretton Woods style agreement. Now, a very interesting thread. Some of it I didn't understand. And I noticed Preston Pish reach out to him and say, come on, his show. And I was like, yeah, also come on my show. You know, I want you to explain it to me in, in a way that I understand. Now, some of this shit is a little bit scary because you know it does impact on your civil liberties. The idea that all money is issued by a central bank and they have control over it. And, you know, we're seeing the drop in use of cash. I mean, a lot of this lockdown stuff, you go to places and they're only accepting cards. You know, could we see the end of cash? Will we move to these digital currencies? And does that mean that we never actually really own the money? It's always controlled by the central bank and our access to it is uh, down to them and they can fine us and tax it and seize it at, at a whim. Obviously, 
that's a bit fucking scary. It scares the shit out of me. But it does come with some other benefits, which Rao talks about. For me, it's just another argument for Bitcoin, right? <laughs> for me, it's just like, well, I want control over my money. Look, I might not be able to avoid, or all of us might not be able to avoid using some of these central bank digital currencies at some point. But despite the benefits, I'm like, just, just give me my fucking Bitcoin, man. Anyway, you know with Rao, it's going to be an absolute banger, and he doesn't disappoint. And the conversation just goes off on a weird one, because at some point I was like, it was making me rethink certain kind of things with regards to the state, strangely enough, and and being self-sovereign. I'm at that point, basically, I need to read The Sovereign Individual. I've had it sat here for a while. Anyway, listen, I hope you're doing well. If you do want to reach out to me, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I do reply to everyone, so if you want to get in touch, please do that. Outside of that, go and check out Defiance. I've just launched my new series, Chaos. It's kind of about Trump, but it's kind of about politics, and it's kind of about all the chaos and the hate and the division at the moment that's going on, especially really on US politics. So that's it, defiance.news. I'm trying my best to see both sides. I think people on the right will think I'm a lefty and people on the left will think I'm a righty, but please do go and check that out. That's available at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great week and I'll see you all soon. Good to see you, man. You right, brother? Yeah, I'm very good. Yeah? How are things in Cayman? It's good. I mean, we've got no COVID here, so we can move around the islands, all that stuff. I'm still in Little Cayman. I'm doing some work in my house in Grand Cayman, so I can't go there. Uh, right. yeah, it's unlivable but uh, other than that it's all good so not a single case on the island no how do you decide whether to let people on we don't well they can't. <laughs> you can if you've got work permit or or family or they've got this new one-year work permit that you know if you want to go and work from cayman you can you have to quarantine for two weeks wear a tracking device so there's not a, there's not a lot of tourists put it that way I quite fancy that. Yeah. Came in. Yeah. Well, why not? Well, they're about to lock us down again here. I think they've they've denied it, but the rest of Europe's doing it. So I know it's coming. Anyway, man, listen. I uh, your epic thread on central bank digital currencies, which I haven't spent too much time looking at yet, but I have now, obviously, in preparation for this, um, and I'm a little bit scared by them. Yeah. Also, also excited. Yeah, I should be. Well, I'm 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 more excited for what it means for Bitcoin because it's just obviously it's it's um it's a vote for Bitcoin. Um but we should go through it because there there were some things like I didn't understand or I wouldn't understand. There's some things other people wouldn't understand. But the background for this was the um you put it early on in the thread was the IMF I read the um the article relating to a, a new Bretton Woods moment. Um what was your take on that? Because I don't believe they're going to be moving to a, a fiscally responsible policies that they had under the Bretton, original Bretton Woods Agreement. No. What it's to do with, and this has come from various sources, from the BIS, from the Bank of England, all sorts of people. What they want to move away is from the dollar standard. Because, you know, everybody's heard this, you know, that the dollar is too strong, the dollar, you know, um, the $13 trillion of debts, the system's unsustainable. What is that all about? It's really simple. The dollar accounts for, the US accounts for 25% of the global economy, but it's about 79% of all transactions. So there simply aren't enough dollars. So in a system like that, because it's the world's reserve currency, everybody's beholden to it. So that means the US owns the SWIFT payment system, which is the way we transfer money around the world. And if you if you don't delight the Americans, they can just turn it off. Mm-hmm. You know, Iran, Russia, others have had that treatment. So people don't like that. 
because it's it's a it's a power that they have over others, and that was impossible to solve for until central bank digital currencies came along. Um, and so they're also looking at imagine that you're South African or Brazilian, right? Your whole economy goes up and down with a dollar, which is not in your hands. Yes, you may not run responsible fiscal and monetary policy, but you've got this added thing of the dollar is everything. So if the dollar goes up, you're screwed. If the dollar goes down, you do well. And really, it's because trade is all in dollars and commodities. And what you need is probably maybe a commodity currency, which has a basket of currencies, something that dampens that volatility. So, you know, and I think China and the Asian regional bloc would probably prefer their own currency because most of their trade is inter-country and inter-region. So there's a block, but it doesn't have to be pegged. Who knows how it works? Maybe it's just a basket with some sort of percentage weighting based on whatever, GDP or trade flows, or it could be anything really. So that's what it's all about at top level is we need to move away from the dollar. Now, obviously, and if you read all of the white papers from all of these guys, they all mention Bitcoin because they saw it, they understood what it meant and understood, okay, the world's changed. So we need to adapt. And this is a better way of doing things. Now, these are not cryptocurrencies. These are very different things. These are a digital version of their own currency issued directly from the central bank. So it doesn't have to go through the banking system. Okay, there's quite a bit to unpack there. So for somebody like me who doesn't understand this, you've talked here about Brazil, where as an example, where if the dollar uh, goes up in value, that's bad for their economy. Did you say it's bad or it's good? If it goes up, it's bad. And can you because, just explain to why that is? Yeah, because their commodities are priced in uh, dollars denominated. So when the dollar goes up, the price of commodities goes down. Okay. They're inversely correlated. So then they get less Brazilian real for every bushel of wheat they sell or whatever it may be. Um, and it's that. The problem is, is they have dollar debts, a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And then they get dollars back in, but it goes up and down depending on what's happening to the commodity price. And that's all related to the dollar. So often you find, like, for example, as we're speaking, oil's down another 5% today. So oil's fallen very sharply, 20% in a few days. What it means is now people who produce oil have US dollar debts and they're making less dollars from selling their oil. Uh, I understand now. So your cash flow is impaired. You know, I've been talking about the insolvency issues. These are some of the things that cause it. Because not only have you got a global slowdown, but the price has gone lower as well. So you're selling less at a lower price. That's really bad if you're a debtor. Right. Okay. So... So you imagine a basket of currencies, a Libra came up a couple of times as really as an inspiration for some of this potentially. But even so, with a basket of currencies, does that still, are we talking about dampening the risk, but the risk still exists? And There's no change in in the risk of debasement of currencies. Yeah. Changing the structure of fiat money, we're changing how we transfer it around. So it doesn't change any of the issues that we have with fiat currency. In fact, arguably... When you saw the IMF paper, what they said is, fine, if we all start thinking of a basket of global currency, why why don't we all undertake fiscal stimulus at the same time and monetary stimulus? Because they realize it's a big mess out there right now, Mm -hmm. and it's only going to get worse. 
So they're kind of talking about that's the agreement with Bretton Woods that we all kind of debase our currency at the same time. That's you know that's the code word for what this is all about. But but why would they do that? Because if you were if you were the central bank in a, current, a country that the currency was performing well, the country was performing well, the economy was doing well. If everyone else debased their currency, wouldn't you be incentivized not to? Wouldn't you be incentivized to avoid that stimulus because that actually... no, everybody wants everybody wants a weaker currency. Everybody. When you've got low global demand, you want lower price for your own goods. So you've heard this expression about currency wars for a long time, mm. and that's because one by one they kind of all rotate in quantitative easing and and monetary debasement. But this is they say, well, why don't we just all do it together? Because therefore nobody has the beggar thy neighbour approach. So if the IMF agrees it with, let's say, you know, the top 10 currency blocks in the world, they all say, fine, we're all going to expand our monetary base for fiscal stimulus purposes by 25%. Okay. Who loses? Nobody. Well, we all lose. Mm. But, but the reality is what they think is, well, none of the current, nobody's getting a competitive advantage. Everyone's getting the advantage at the same time. I get it. It kind of does make sense. If you're a large debtor and you can issue more to try and pay for some of the issues, and yes, we do need fiscal stimulus, I understand. Um, and, you know, again, that always goes into the argument of, you know, why this is so powerful for Bitcoin. Somebody's creating digital rails that you can buy and sell things instantaneously. You actually don't need stable coins, really, in this environment. And so you can move digital assets around the world supremely efficiently and... It gives you also the bull case for Bitcoin, because if what they're telling you is you want to do a Bretton Woods where we can all agree to stabilize our currencies and do massive printing. Well, Christ, if you're after a better case for Bitcoin, I've never heard of one. All right, well, we'll come to the Bitcoin bit. I, I still want to spend a bit of time just kind of understanding this. OK, so every country would be able to you know, enact a stimulus program at the same time. Um, it avoids currency wars. That still doesn't affect us as potential, say, savers. It would still debase our currency as an individual. Correct. But, you know, it all depends on what you think of as inflation, right? Yeah. Because if all currency blocks are devaluing their currency, debasing their currency at the same time, imports and exports don't go up and down in price. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel worse off. It's kind of weird, right? Because yeah. only hard assets have really gone up in value then. So you'll find that everything from fine wine to art to gold will go up in value. Maybe real estate too. But so maybe, so whether it generates inflation and what people, how people perceive that. So if anything, therefore, it will create a, a bigger wealth divide, though, between those who have assets and those who don't. Well, the idea is not to, right? right? The idea is they want to directly give money to people who don't have the assets, right? That's the part of the problem. The current system is really broken, is you cannot stimulate where it's needed. Mm -hmm. So you stimulate by printing money that goes into the banking system that does or does not get distributed. Then only the people with the best credit get the money. That's the credit cycle. Yep. That's how it always works. That's okay. But in a situation like this, which is an external event where small businesses have been destroyed, how do you help them? I mean, it's not their fault. It's, you know, it's not like they've got massive debts. They're not General Electric or, or AT&T with these hundreds of billions of debts. They're just normal businesses whose cash flow now doesn't meet the rent. So is this just a, 
Is this just a big plan for potentially restructuring these debts uh, across the world over the next kind of five to ten years? Because I, I spoke with Lynn Alden, and she talked about the 130% debt-to-GDP event horizon. Uh, 51 of 52 countries that have hit that point of had to devalue their currency. I think there's only Japan who hasn't. And I think I was reading in that IMF paper that, um, yeah, so we expect 2021 debt levels to go up significantly to around 125% of GDP in advanced economies. So we're heading towards that event horizon. Is this is this just a plan to essentially wipe these debts in a certain way? Look, that's always been my thought is, is what... Obviously, they're thinking about the end game. Yeah. And the end game of debt is either pay it back, default on it, or inflate your way out. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is the only way. Yeah. And there's no way of paying it back. The central banks have tried to get off the quantitative easing system. They can't because debt itself is so deflationary, plus the demographics, plus technology, plus globalization. It's almost impossible. So they've got to do something. Um, you know, everybody hates central banks. I get it. Put yourself in the in the hands of a central banker. Given this, what do you do? You're 120 percent of GDP in debt. What are you going to do? Just not stimulate? Say I'm going to be fiscally respons- responsible? You're not going to do it. So, yeah, they have to do something. Well, and some it- jubilee, ju- jubilee in whatever format that is, is as old as human literature is. There's always yeah. been debt jubilees when people overextend overborrow eventually there's no way out without wiping it out and who pays the cost in that that's that's the issue well this is again what lynn was talking about because she said a, a default is unlikely due to credit ratings and she said the most likely way is to inflate they will inflate their way out of it and we'll see high inflation over the next 10 years so the debtors will be nominally paid off but their purchasing power will be yeah, maybe half what it was. She thinks that's the most likely outcome. Yes, and that's, again, slightly tricky how to generate inflation. I mean, the central banks have not been able to. Not inflation in some... You know, inflation is different to different people. Your inflation mm. rate is different to mine. Currency debasement inflation is different to commodity inflation. What we don't have is demand-led wage growth inflation. And I'm, I'm going to write a big piece for this for Global Macro Investor in a couple of weekends' time. Wage deflation, I think, is actually what has been going on, not inflation of goods prices. Because if you look at the price of most goods in gold terms, they're roughly where they were, right? Okay. So why are we not benefiting? Why, why is it not stable for us? Why does everybody feel screwed? Well, if you look at real wages in the US, they haven't risen since 1974. <laughs> real wage growth has not gone up. So, but goods have gone up. And people think that's inflation. But if you look at all the goods, they all kind of match gold and everything else. So it, it feels that if you think it through, what is wage deflation? Why? And it's a very different way of looking at things. And I'm just starting to get my head around this after a conversation with Jeff Booth. Is if you think about it, in the early 80s, a record number of people walked into the labor force, which is the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. The largest ever cohort in world history. So they all compete for a job. Guess what? Wages stop going up, obviously. Right? That's basic economics. Mm-hmm. Too much supply, not enough demand. So the next part of the equation is, so wages stop going up, but goods continue to go up in price over time. So what do people do? Borrow money. 
to make up for it. Obvious. There goes the debt bubble. So now you've got the debt bubble and you've got wages that won't go up. Then the next thing, you hit 1996 and the World Trade Organization is formed and, that, and the treaty is ratified. Then suddenly, somebody making steel in Sheffield is now competing with somebody in China. Game over. Mm -hmm. And what happened there was the corporations got rich because their margins exploded. And the average guy got poor. So you've made them have lower wages. You've got them to increase their debts. And now you've taken their jobs away or lowered the cost again of wages because you're competing with China. And then layer on top of that, technology. You know, in 10 years' time, there'll be no taxi drivers, there'll be no bus drivers, there'll be no truck drivers, there'll be no train drivers. I mean, just simple things like that. And Mark Andreessen was dead right. Software is eating the world. Technology is proving to be a more productive way of running businesses than humans. Okay. That's just fact. It's not going away. It's been happening since the Industrial Revolution, right? <laughs> and the Agricultural Revolution, it's all the same thing. It's just the relentless drive of technology, which is why procreation rates around the world have collapsed. I mean, because there's no point having children, because the opportunity is less. So actually, population growth will adjust over time to this. We've seen it in Japan. You know, so that then leads into the things like universal basic income. You know, you've screwed all these people. They've got no way out. They're now heavily indebted. They're trying to retire. They don't have enough on their pensions. Um, there's no jobs for them. And technology is, is keeping a lid on wages. You can't generate inflation from the 70s. That just can't happen. It'll be a different type of inflation when it comes. So that's not there. How do you help these people? Right. So, so the idea was print money and the banks will give it away. I get that. It didn't work. Because only the people who didn't need the money got access to it. So Jeff Bezos can probably go out and borrow $100 billion on a phone call. Good luck, my friend, if you want to. You know, that's that's the issue here. Yeah. What you're doing is creating a system that incentivizes the rich. So the idea then is universal basic income, which is okay, fine. Let's just shift up the standard of living of everybody. And that's going to help. At least people can afford to have... If companies... If the structural situation means that companies can't pay them more wages and will lay them off over time because of technology, let's make sure that people have access to food, rent, clothing, healthcare. Well, and that, what, do you th what do you think of UBI yourself? I actually like it. Okay. It's controversial. Because, yes. And I get it. People don't like it. Oh, you're paying people not to work, blah, 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 blah. Look, the facts are these people have been left behind and it's no fault of their own. Okay, you can layer in the education systems failed them as well. But how do you help people in this situation? It's not going to get better. And this is why it's come out of Silicon Valley, because they're like, listen, guys, we're destroying the world here. You need to find an answer because it's not going away. And everyone's still so back in the 1970s because that was the, the big thing that they saw inflation and that they're fighting the wrong war. And Silicon Valley's telling them that, and I think they're right. Now, I don't, and again, I don't think it's like it should be thought of as a socialist thing versus a capitalist thing. It's basically a humanist thing at this point. It's a welfare program. It is a welfare program, but you know, all of Europe survived with welfare programs fine. 
Yeah. You know, the quality of life in Europe is extremely high. It's, it's a very tough concept to discuss in Bitcoin circles because it's yeah. socialism. Um, and if you believe in you believe in socialism, and it's one step from communism. Well, see, Bitcoin is what, what's attractive about Bitcoin really at its core is it offers the little guy mm. an opportunity, right? Which most other things don't. So it's a complete inversion, and that's great. But still, not enough people will benefit. There'll be a group who will. Because it's not owned by enough. Yeah, I have actually on. looked at because there's been a couple of studies, a couple of like test programs with UBI, and I haven't actually seen what the success rate is. And in some ways, we're, we're operating a the furlough scheme is almost like a a, a micro test of UBI. It, yeah, and and so people say it's going to be inflationary. So think how it works, right? Inflation is a rate on ch- a rate of change. So you're going to have one year where all the inflation numbers are going to go up. Because there's a new increased demand for goods, people who couldn't get access to, you know, whatever now have access to it. But the following year it goes out because it's not like there's inflation in UBI. What you're trying to do is just make sure you can either lower the cost of these goods and services, like healthcare or whatever, or you can in- increase wages. And if companies can't do it, now I-, I think there's interesting ways of doing UBI. I think tokenization allows us online to be able to sell our eyeballs, not mm. literally, <laughs> figuratively. Because why should the lion's share of all of our attention spans go to Google? That, that's not right. They're making super normal profits and they're gonna get regulated. But you know, people like Brave Browser and stuff are doing interesting things where you could earn whatever digital currency, Bitcoin. That you spend time online, you get paid for part of the advertising share. Well, that could pay for part of UBI. You know, th- there's just a whole new world out there that is be- going to become accessible. Yeah. The other thing about these central bank digital currencies is it stops monetary policy and fiscal policy being a blunt tool. Because I can give you a different amount than I give the guy next door to you because I want to incentivize you because you've got a business and the guy next door, he works for a large corporation and I don't think I need to incentivize him as much. I can give you a higher rate of interest because I want to encourage you to be a saver. And I can give me a, a, a lower rate of interest or negative interest because I've got more savings. I mean, wow, this is behavioral economics. This throws out the rule book of everything. And we can change monetary policy and fiscal policy forever. And I think that's super exciting. It's also a bit of the police, a bit yeah. of the kind of states over presence. But, you know, and they will screw it up, obviously. The, the law of unintended consequences is not going away. Mm. I really like it because it's better than what we've got. And I haven't heard anybody else come up with a better system. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things I think about with UBI is is like it's the like the forecast of doom with all these jobs being lost in transport and... Manufacturing. Kind of, and- yeah, manufacturing. Even like I, I saw ones with regards to some like you know, roles within medicine, the ability to um, review kind of x-rays and such. There's, there's so many different areas of jobs that c- could be lost. But what we haven't accounted for the, is the ingenuity of humans to, to find new jobs or, you know, will that lead to uh, people finding new jobs in other areas, other kind of service-related jobs, arts jobs? I, I guess we don't know. But one, I guess one of the other arguments against U- UBI is that is um, if you don't have productivity behind... The generation of money that does tend to why are you assuming that people will just stay at home and do nothing 
Humans, I'm, out of instinct, want to work. They want a purpose. And if I think you're some will, some won't. Sorry? I think some will and some won't. I think it'll be a mixed bag. Not all humans yeah, want to work. But then, fine. So the people who do work, they have more opportunity. You know, I just mm. think entrepreneurialism is the, the, the output here, right? Mm. The SaaS business model is so empowering for anybody, you can make 70% margins in pretty much anything you do now. That's why technology is eating the world, because this, the margin of technology is so high. So anybody can start a business. Look, I mean, you've started mm. media business <laughs> with no actual cost. And you've got... Well, but, you know, limited cost. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. You have a restaurant, right, which is bloody mm. capital intensive and has shitty margins. But now it's a whole different world out there. So I think, you know, the, the micro business and the ability that everybody is now a media person, everybody has an expertise that somebody wants something of, all of this is here. It's all there and it's powerful. But some people just don't have that ability. Some people don't have the education. Don't, some people don't have the knowledge. Some people are too old. Some people are too young. So, I, you know, I, I don't mind it. I understand why people don't like it. But I think the system's so screwed now. And if somebody wants to come with a much better idea on mm -hmm. fixing this, I'd love to hear it. Because I don't hear a lot of ideas. I hear a lot of criticism. And at least it's something. And I love change. Because in change, yeah. opportunity. Next up, I talked to Rao more about the money revolution, but before that, I've got a message from my amazing sponsors, some of the best companies in the industry. Love all of my sponsors, so make sure you check them out. Okay, so let's talk about Kraken. Yes, they are my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and they are the only place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin. And why is that, Pete? It's just because they're a sponsor, isn't it? Well, no, it isn't. Even if they weren't a sponsor, I'd be using them. I'll tell you why. Firstly, they are consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. And as, you know, with my ads with Carter, security is so important to me right now. Also, they have the best in-class in customer service. So whatever issue you have, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're a king or a pauper, it doesn't matter. You reach out to Kraken, they're going to get that shit sorted for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they've got every tool you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience, if you head over to Kraken.com, it's so easy to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. And also, they've got this beautiful mobile-first app. So if you're out on the go, if you're in if you're on lockdown, but you're allowed to go out for your one hour of exercise and you're running around, you're thinking, you know what, I need me some more Bitcoin. You can whip out your mobile. You can head over to Kraken Pro and you can start buying Bitcoin. Also, they've got margin trading. They've got futures. They've got an OTC desk. Kraken has every option covered for you. There's no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available in the Google and Apple app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. All right, let's talk about BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Do you know what? They're the now of Bitcoin and financial services because they are killing it. Now, listen, with BlockFi, like me, you can open up an interest account and start earning interest on your Bitcoin. I've been a customer for coming up to a year. I've earned over one Bitcoin in interest, which is super cool. Also, using your Bitcoin as collateral, you can take out a USD loan and you can fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. With the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. And with so much shit coming this year, they've got some really exciting updates coming. They're going to absolutely crush it for the rest of this year and into 2021. Now, as I always say, if you're interested in checking out BlockFi, I do recommend you do your own research. And then you head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. 
Well, let's talk about let's talk about the bit of the CBDC that I really, really don't like, which is also the argument for Bitcoin. So when I when I started reading through the thread and then reading through the the links you put in, which by the way, thank you for putting those all in, um, was this idea that the was the money being issued by the central bank, but this realization is that you no longer own your money really. You know, it's not like with Bitcoin where you'll own your private keys. You don't really, you won't really own your money. This ability to auto tax you, and I'm going, I'm going to imagine there'll be the ability to auto fine you um, from your from your money. That you never have that ability just to like, for example, you can take cash out now, and we're moving away from cash rapidly through in COVID. But I have a bit of cash that I always store, which I always it's not my backup. We can end up just not having that. So you have the you don't really ever control or own your money. You you have access to it potentially, but that could be switched off. It could be debased. It can be taken, it, it, or and you know as you said, behavioural control. It, it feels really dystopian and scary. Is it any worse than what we've got? I think so. Yeah, I think it is worse. I don't. I don't think so. I think it's. I think it's marginally worse. Okay, I mean, I'll, I'll buy that. State control. It's inevitable, right? We can mm. complain all day about it, but behavioral economics and big data combined have changed the world. People just don't understand this yet, but this is all Facebook is. This is all Google is, is understanding human incentives. You know, that the, the power of behavioral economics in manipulating societies for the good or the bad is out of the bottle now. That genie cannot be put back. It's not going away, yeah. which is why I call it the Bitcoin life raft, because it is one of the few ways you can get out of it. Yeah. Well, that's why I said it's a good argument for Bitcoin, but you know, that idea that you can't just you can't exit at all. Like- so, so let's say you weren't a nefarious person and now you've been given the mm-hmm. ability to incentivize, put a tax rate just immediately on goods and services whenever money changes hands, so there's no tax filing system. Um, imagine that you can give handouts to the right people. Imagine if there's no bad debts because you can claim them. There's some really good things in this. Oh, I don't deny that. But the problem is, is governments are governments and humans are humans, and we're just not good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, like- it's kind of utopian. Like I, I, I agree with you. There's some real great benefits. Uh, um, you know, companies screw you over, and you win a court judgment. The money can be automatically issued to you rather than having to like, wait for it to be. Money can't be hidden. You know, I mean, I don't know how kind of like central banks will work with each other and cross jurisdiction but you know i understand that like like they they in a in a healthy good society where everyone has good intentions i can see the benefits i just you know i know what humans are like and it just feels a little bit like it's another freedom we've given away that yeah, but you, okay and i get that but let's say let's say you're bus driver in the uk let's say I don't know how many bus drivers there are in the UK. Let's call it 50,000, 100,000, right? 100,000 bus drivers. We know in the next five years, they're all going to be out of a job Mm -hmm. or 10 years, call it 10 years. So now me as government, I can look after bus drivers and I can give them direct payments and I can re-educate. That's a huge benefit because I can't do that really easily in the current system. And... But to get that, I'm going to have to give up any any form of anonymity. I, I, 
you know, it's a trade-off. It's the same trade-off we do when we use bloody Twitter or Google or Facebook. Mm -hmm. It's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. When government, when you trade off with the government, everyone gets upset. Yet you, who really believes in this stuff, uses Google all day. And they have more data on more people than any single entity on earth. And they don't use it necessarily for good means. Well, yeah, we're learning about that now, though. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen The Social Dilemma, but there's lots of these kind of like documentaries or concerns about the use of big data. It's, it, for me personally, it's kind of pushing me away from these companies. So I don't use Google now on my desktop. I've just stopped using it. I, I don't. I use, Well, I still use Google Search, but I don't use Google Browser. Yeah. I only have to do it for this, but I, I don't use it. Because Apple's less nefarious. Because mm. Apple's more of a walled garden and Google's not. I don't use Facebook any longer. I'll go on and check on once a month, but I don't have any app or anything else. Um, but I do use Twitter. Now, Twitter's just particularly incompetent at capturing data. But if they get their shit sorted out, then, you know, the amount of conversations we all have all day on Twitter, I mean, that's, that's there. Have Our you locations, do, you know, everything. Have you looked into technically how they're going to implement this? Because that was one of the things I couldn't find. Like, is it a distributed ledger or something? I decided. So, um, who was it? Um, Joe Wiesenthal, who I blocked on Twitter. But what? Um, Why? Yeah. For his Bitcoin trolling. He was just being a dick. You know, he he was just unnecessary. Um, just unnecessary. So I just I, I didn't have time for it. But anyway, he did a good podcast with Tracy Olway and. Um, Benoit Curé, who was the the guy at the ECB, who who was fronting the uh, digital currency project, now is at the BIS. Mm -hmm. And it was a great interview because it was really open and honest. He said, "Well, some countries are going to use it for smart contracts where they can use it for direct payments. Others will just have it like a um, stable coin. Others will have incentives built in because nobody really knows what they're going to do. He said, I prefer the incentive-based ability to do a bunch of stuff. Others won't. The US hasn't really decided where it's going to go. Others are further down the track. Some of them will change. There are some, you know, with Bitcoin, it's like, you know, it was very clear that it was not anti-Bitcoin, which is everyone's like, see, they're going to ban Bitcoin. It, it sounds so far away from that. They're moving towards it. They understand that it's there and it's not going to go away and it has a, it probably plays a good role. So that was a really good thing to hear. But basically, it's telling you they don't know. There is no master plan. They're trying to figure it out because it's new technology and add behavior. Do we use behavioral economics or not? You know, some voters won't like that. So that's a political decision. And he said all of this is actually a political decision, not a monetary decision. So right. it depends. Do you think this is why some of these banks are getting these new licenses, you know, Kraken and Avanti? It's almost in preparation for the CBTs to oh, come. Oh, I mean, he made it clear. He made it clear that really you don't actually need a banking system because you can have fintech and central bank digital currencies and then anything else in the crypto space or the digital asset space. You actually don't need a bank. So he's like, no, we're very actively encouraging all of the fintech because it's helping us. He says, we're governments. We can't create this stuff, but the private sector can, and we should be using it and, and, uh, and encouraging it. So the banks themselves, it's like being an oil company right now. You either try and stick to what you do and milk the last dollar out, or you change. I mean, we're still in your financial um, services borrowing and lending and or do you think the borrowing and lending will come from the central bank why not 
I mean, they just do it through a middleman right now. It's like, it's like you can buy your produce from the farm next door, or you can go to the supermarket that stocks the produce from the farm next door and pay the supermarket money. Why? Well, you want competition, right, for, for service. But that's what, that's what um, fintech does. You can choose what digital wallet, what interest rate program you want to use. You can use, you can choose any of this stuff, what custody systems, what anything. So what do you need the bank for? Now, that asks the question of who's better at allocating capital, yeah. central bank or banks themselves? Well, they both seem pretty shit to me, so I don't really know the answer to that. Well, perhaps it's companies like BlockFi then who are essentially a crypto fintech company. Absolutely. That, absolutely the system is moving to them they're not moving towards the system yeah yeah that's interesting um it does really like like i said earlier and we wanted to come back to this it does really reinforce my conviction on bitcoin which is being re- reinforced almost on a daily basis at the moment um but yeah i mean today the central bank of thailand have talked about their digital currency I mean, all of this is coming i mean you couldn't ask for more Flags being planted on a daily basis. I mean, I log onto Twitter every morning and there's like another big story of somebody else who's entered the space or acknowledged the space or moving forward in the space. You're like, okay, I mean, you know, I keep talking about this. Never before has the little guy had the ability to front run the financial institutions and the financial system. That's what we're being given here. It's always been the other way around. Mm -hmm. We all get screwed because they sell into us. You know, they, they get us to buy into their products and they make all the money. This is the inverse. It's fantastic. It's an inverse pyramid here where we get the power and we're the ones who sell them the Bitcoin at the high price. Is there an incentive? Yeah, thank you. Is there an incentive with the central banks with these new CBDCs themselves to also be owning Bitcoin? Well, I think game theory would suggest yes. Yeah. Because... My guess is if it does well and people understand of it as a reserve asset, it starts to go into some reserves. That won't be quick, but Mm. my guess is within the next year, somebody will do it. Let's say a small country like Jamaica or Bahamas or whoever, right? And everyone go, huh, because what they want is stability. Bahamas is pegged currency, but, but choose a place that has problems historically with its currency you get a harder currency. It's like, huh, okay, that's interesting. So then if that helps them with their capital flows, much like we've seen with Michael Saylor's share price, yeah, it's the same thing. So if you oh, it's back by a bit of Bitcoin and then it gives them more returns, that works. Because Bitcoin's still not at the money stage. It's still at the appreciation stage where its price discovery is, is still underway. So, you know, there's a lot of price discovery still to come out of this. Yeah, it does. So it, it's one thing that's quite interesting. It does seem to be um, like the correlation with the S&P seems to be breaking a little bit. I, I've been very impressed with the price this last two weeks. It's kind of kind of interesting. I mean, you know, we did. Well, look at us now. We look back to nearly 13,500. We dipped just below 13,000. It keeps bouncing back. It keeps bouncing back. There's so many interesting things has been been happening with you. Have you had Sailor on Real Vision? You must have, of course you have. Actually. Yeah, we were the second people to have him. We have had him for two hours. Did you? Yeah. God, I think I, I did a double one with him. What did you when the micro strategy thing happened? How did you react? What was like your 
Because it wasn't like some company had come out and said, yes, we've put $10 million into Bitcoin, which itself would have been amazing. I think everyone would have leapt up. It was $450 million over two... Well, forget the amount of money it is. It was a large part of the cash reserves. Yeah. Now, most companies won't do that. Mm-hmm. But Michael's a true believer. But And I don't think Michael is going to drive corporate adoption in the space because he's really speaking the language of Bitcoin and not the language of corporate treasurers. And that has to happen. We're very bad in this space at speaking the language of the others that we actually want to encourage into the system in the end. So, you know, and I've mentioned this numerous times, you're not going to get the pension system until you, and the asset allocation until you start talking in terms of barra asset allocation models. None of us know what those are because nobody uses them except that industry, right? And Do you know what it is? Not really, but it's basically, you know, but it's basically the asset allocation models that the entire pension fund industry uses and the consultants use and the actuaries use and all of this stuff. Well, unless we start talking in those terms, we might as well be shouting in Swahili at them because it makes no sense. And same with the corporate treasury. To talk about the 100-year value of money to the treasurer of Microsoft who might be in his job for 10 years before he moves on somewhere else is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Show him the portfolio diversification effects versus cash that he holds across credit, commercial, paper, treasuries, different currencies, and say, well, if you put this in, this is what it does to your portfolio. Then he's going to go, yeah, I get it. I'm going to do some of that. We're just still not talking the same language. We're so busy shilling the damn thing that we don't actually help people. Yeah, it's funny. We shill it because we want it to go up. And then when it goes up, we have this like panic. Well, I don't have enough. <laughs> Michael Saylor today, after admitting he has 17,500 personal Bitcoins, thinking I get anxiety at night because I don't have enough. I was like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> oh, I saw that and I'm like, oh, that's I just feel so underweight now. I just feel so pathetic. Yeah. Um, in terms of this, though, because it's, it, like I said, it's, it's been a really interesting year. It, it feels like, like, like you say, every day you wake up and there's something new. There's always something, there's something new that seems to be happening. But it really feels like this year is, uh, will be a year we look back for a number of reasons. I mean, 2020 has just been insane for a number of reasons. What's going on in the US, the election, pandemic, Black Lives Matters, what's going on, on with Bitcoin. But do you do you feel like as an industry, because I consider you somebody who kind of came outside and then came into Bitcoin, you already had traditional financial background. Do you feel like the industry is like really maturing now? Yeah. This yeah. is the accelerator. I, I, I've said for a long time, right? I've been, I've been involved in the Bitcoin space since 2011. And I've always knew where they were going, which is the Bitcoin and macro we're going to meet. And this is the year it happened. I mean, that, there's no surprise, you know, at Real Vision, we're starting Real Vision Crypto, which is a whole crypto channel. Well, because macro and crypto, all the crypto people are now having to get up to speed with macro. And you've been doing that. That's what you've been educating. Actually, that. And then there's all the macro guys have to understand crypto. So we're all having to learn at record pace to figure it out. Because these are not separate worlds now. They're now the same thing. When we're talking about central bank digital currencies, behavioral economics, we're talking about incentive systems, monetary policy, fiscal policy, how does it affect Bitcoin, right? And we're all in the same world now. So it's, and this was the year it happened. Amazing time. It's, it's like, um, I, I'm not sure how to class it. And I guess these, these times are classed retrospectively. I don't, I don't think you consider the industrial revolution as it, as it was just starting, right? 
you know, you look back and think, well, that was the industrial revolution, the digital revolution. Like, like, what is this? Is this the money revolution? Is it the economics revolution? Because it is certainly something. If software is eating the world, this is software eating money. I mean, it's just that. I mean, the whole financial system. What's been clever here is at the beginning of all of this was basically a bunch of engineers saying, we think we can build a better system of money. What a ridiculously arrogant thing to set out to do. <laughs> but they did. Yeah. I mean, staggering. And we, don't, we haven't even started this journey. I mean, we can, we can postulate all day what's coming. We have no real idea. Um, and that's what's so fascinating about it. We have no idea where this is all going to go. And I know it's not really your focus, but stuff like tokens are going to change everything. Yeah, I mean, I covered the INX one. Um, like, I, I'm not really interested in a lot of cryptocurrencies or altcoins. Um, I did cover the INX one because I, I was like, you know, when I might get shouted at by Maximus for thinking this, but the idea of I have a wallet, say my ledger, and the idea that on my ledger I can have my Bitcoin and also I could have my digital pounds and also next to that I could maybe have my, um, sh like, uh, uh, shares. And then I could say, and I could be having this conversation with you, Ron, and Ron, you're like, sure, Pete, I want to buy, um, I want to buy 10% of what Bitcoin did for Real Vision, and you know, it's whatever, 50 Bitcoin, and I say yes, and we can just do that transfer. That the idea of owning those assets and th that legally being enforceable, I think it's great. I don't know how it works, but if that is legally enforceable and it works, I actually like that idea. Yeah, I, it's super empowering. So somebody came to me here in the Cayman Islands and said. Because Cayman's looking very seriously at this whole digital space because all the legal infrastructure for globally came out of here, really, because all the lawyers are here because it's mainly offshore. And somebody came to me and said, I want to tokenize the real estate, start tokenizing real estate. And he's a real estate guy, but he also actually is involved in the gold storage business and the crypto industry and all sorts of stuff. And he's like, well, people, Caymanians, right? We've got the same problem, rich and poor divide. It's a relatively wealthy island. Um, but there's still a rich poor divide. And the idea is they can't afford real estate on Seven Mile Beach, prime real estate. Hell, I can't afford real estate on Seven Mile Beach. But if you tokenize it, then all of the Kamanians can participate in all of the property market and it can go in the pension system. Okay, so then it's not like, well, you know, you can't buy the bottle of Chateau Lafitte that's $10,000 at auction, you can, because you tokenize it. So everybody, it's so democratizing that it's incredibly powerful. And we talked about a world where everybody becomes a media person, where everybody has these small businesses. Well, to tokenize your cash flows, to tokenize you, we're gonna see it with sports stars, we'll see it with, you know, everybody's talking about this already. M music is clearly, I mean, there's no middlemen. <laughs> They're all gonna get taken out. You know, why Taylor Swift with this enormous, enormous army of followers should ever need a middleman? She, she shouldn't. Not, not when you can tokenize everything. Yeah. Well, there are these other implications for things as well. Things I've noticed happen at the same time. So I started work on this uh, series about Donald Trump about three months ago, and, and it's completely changed on its head. It was originally going to be like a story about how he's a potential dictator. I spent months researching it, all his like nefarious actions and lies. And what I ended up realizing, it's not actually a story about Donald Trump. This is a story about the, the massive change in society right now. Because on so many levels, this is happening. It might just be money. But 
you know, we've all become much closer to politics than we were 20 years ago because we have apps. You know, we have um, 24-hour news, we have social media. This, uh, politics is in our face, so we all feel closer to it. But politics hasn't grown up to kind of, to isn't matured in a way to cope with everyone having a political opinion. And, and one of the negative effects of that is that we now have real distrust in the news. So you talk about people being their own media companies. That we also have this situation where people are become, like you say, they become their, they become their own media company on Twitter. But I've, I'm becoming really distrustful on that. So we've got this kind of like revolution in money, revolution in news, revolution in media. But but I'm not sure if it's all going in the right direction for me, Raoul, because... No, but, that, but I think everybody acknowledges that. Yeah. And that's a good start. So, for example, at Real Vision, we've built our own community. It's called The Exchange. Yeah. And you can go in there and interact with Real Vision subscribers. So what you're doing there essentially is curating who you want to interact with. Right? Twitter is, the, is everybody. But once you're on a platform that has the details of who you are really and you can't just you you can use a fake name on real vision but mm -hmm. we, we bill your credit card so we know who the hell you are so what it does is create a different kind of behavioral interaction and i think yeah. communities themselves begin to self-police if you set it up as listen if somebody's posting something that is fictitious nefarious or something else then again just using a token system you know a credit system you can have people leave the community or or get promoted within the community for th the right actions. That's not driven by us as a centralized, but actually driven yeah. by the community. I think what, what I, was, I, was, I was heading towards saying is that everything is moving a lot more towards smaller units, individuals, smaller companies. Yes, you're still going to need huge companies. Like if the if the airlines ever start flying again, I don't think I'm going to trust, a, a, no offense, Rao Power Airways. I'm, I'm still going to want to use British Airways, right? But in terms of m media, I think... I, I think the structure doesn't work for massive media companies. So I think I think structurally we're moving towards this kind of self-sovereign individual small smaller units of everything. Um I'm just I'm not ready for it myself. <laughs> well yeah. Well it's hard and people get more isolated from mm -hmm. everybody. It's it's not easy and I think it, it does go to smaller units yeah. and it goes towards communities. It used to be a broadcast world. And it's now becoming a community world where not only do you create content, but the community creates content and kind of everybody's in charge of the whole thing. I love that. Mm. But it's very fragmented as opposed to the, because everyone's had enough of the big platforms. So we're now going to do the opposite because we're humans. We always do yeah. this. Oh my God, we don't want that. We'll go to that. And then, oh my God, we don't want that. We'll go to the other way. But that's where we're going. Um, and we're moving away, so we're going to go to communities where we don't have to hear from everybody else. Well, well fragmented is is the word I was I should have used because everything is fragmenting. But I'm the thing that's been in my head with this story I've been writing is that, or like script writing is that I think politics now needs to fragment. This idea of this centralized focus on centralized government is actually it's really ineffective. Well, look, here's a question for you: is yeah. What's wrong, and I don't know the answer to this, I don't yeah. really have a view, but the two-party system is it's failed the UK, it's failed the US. Mm -hmm. The Europeans generally have proportional representation. Mm -hmm. is, that is, that, is that better? Probably. Probably, yeah. I think it's more, 
wanting to take a bigger issue in uh, interest in localized politics anyway um but I just that's where i've been heading it's like if, if if the digital tool revolution empowers everyone if the monetary this monetary revolution makes us all self-sovereign it's you know outside of this cbdc issue why do we need to rely on these big government but the question is is do you even need to interact with them because i'm not sure that what we understand as society country stuff is going to be defined by anything apart from the services that the state provides bit defense bit healthcare bit whatever it is right having a rubbish collected but we actually live in online in a different community mm. so my online community is twitter that's where i hang out that is my where the social pressure if you create the wrong behavior the social reward system lies there it doesn't lie within the state so living online we just go and hang out in the tribes and the place and the communities that we want to we live in different societies and then you end up with a, a weird world where if you think it's okay to be a pedophile you can hang out in pedophile online groups and your societal norms are that but you know god forbid if you beat dogs because then you're one of the awful people and the dog beating society you know they they think that's great and then it's weird so you're going to fracture societal norms because what's norm in some places not normal in the other yeah i i, I think that what where i was going with this i was thinking like are we are we railroading ourselves into anarchism without even realizing it like we're becoming self-sovereign in terms of m money in, especially with something like bitcoin we're becoming like kind of self you know we can operate and create businesses at a whim online we can in some ways, Raoul, we can do business with each other outside of the government, outside the government knowing what we're doing. To, like, are we actually pushing ourselves to a point where we don't need government? Well, the, the ultra-fragmentation where everybody has a different set of rules. As I said, the yeah. pedophile online groups have different set of rules than our Twitter group or the Bitcoin maximalist group or whoever it may be, right? The Chihuahua lovers group. Therefore, there is no rules. Yeah. There is no cohesion to society because you're living in micro societies. So it's like going back to the dark ages where everybody fights. Oh no, I don't because want that. You, you don't have societal cohesion. Well, yeah. something has to change to create cohesion because actually all the incentives are for fragmentation. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you're doing it, I'm doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So we've fragmented media into financial media and then Bitcoin media, right? Fragment, fragment, fragment. When it used to be, when I first grew up, I listened to the BBC. Yeah. Okay, centralized, down to fragmentation. And I think you're right. It feels really empowering in the beginning. And then you realize there is no society or your society is so narrow that you seek large society again. I, yeah, we mm. probably do this endlessly. Yeah. Countries are going smaller as well, right? We've been ever since... Ever since World War II, really, uh, uh, no, since the end of the British Empire, country blocks have been shrinking. So it was the British Empire, then it was the Russians that went. Europe was the anomaly. Mm -hmm. Well, we still had um, it. We still had it in like Yugoslavia. Yeah, but fragmentation. I mean, the Scots are going to leave England at some point. Okay. The Catalonians are going to end up leaving Spain. The Basques will end up leaving Spain and France. You know, the southern Germans, the northern Italians, that's the natural, from what you're describing, mm. is the natural path. Now, that's not terrible. It's just very different. Mm. 
Um, but we all know that when you have lots of microstates, you tend to have less, less peace. And I think we can see it online. Like the Bitcoin maximalists just will not stop trolling everybody. <laughs> and that's great because they support Bitcoin. Yeah. It creates a vibrant society. It's good. But their societal norms are different to mine. Yeah, I mean, I agree with them on a lot of Bitcoin stuff, but then there's some of the things I don't agree with them on. But it's kind of, we've, got, we've really gone down a rabbit hole I wasn't prepared for. Now now you give me a whole bunch of other things to think about. Well, listen, look, I know you're busy, so I'm, I'm going to let you uh, off the line now, but it's good to see you. I might look into my uh, Cayman uh, one-year stay thing, see if my kids want to come to school for a year. <laughs> I don't I can't see it happening. I can't see it happening. But uh, uh, tell people how to find out more about Real Vision. Wow. Yeah, I mean, look, the easiest thing, because people listen to podcast watching video, go to our YouTube channel first, mm -hmm. uh, Real Vision, or go to the podcast. Just check those out, the usual places. You'll see what we do. And as I said, we're about to make the biggest media launch in the crypto business. So we've been testing internally our uh, Real Vision crypto. It'll become, and you'll be on it without question, um, and it'll become the meeting place for all of us. You know, we have a community we're building from that. And, you know, we want to bring as many people together as possible. That will be free, which is a big change for us. And that's going to be brought by by dealing with a, um, a partner consortium uh, to bring that free. So Real Vision Crypto, I think, launches around the 18th of November. Wow, it's very soon. Yeah. Let the election get out of the way. Yeah, always, right? I just want to give birth to the damn thing and get going. Yeah, well, listen, look. Uh, oh, by the way, thanks for that bottle of um, cognac. Was it cognac? No, it was rum. Oh no, Jeez. rum. Sorry, bottle of rum. Sorry, yeah. I stopped drinking halfway through, but that—that's what. Do you know why that bottle's so good? It's one of the few drinks uh, spirits I can have without a mixer. Yes, that's it right. Just tastes so good. I got through about half of it, then I gave up drinking. <laughs> why have you given up drinking? I just stopped for a week, and then it's become nearly three months. I'll go back at some point, probably. Yeah, I—I um, I, I stopped for three weeks. I was going to do a month, but I didn't. Well, I was going to go to my birthday, and my birthday is Saturday on Halloween, so I, I might. I, this will disappoint some people. I might have a glass of champagne on Saturday. But thank you for that, by the way. That that that, that rum is amazing. Yeah, I'm it's really like incredible. A, really yeah, incredible rum. I'm not like a rum drinker traditionally, but uh, I had some in Barbados once. Because we all grew up with Bacardi and crap like the Captain Morgans and and all that rubbish. Woods Navy Reserve. Yeah. <laughs> Good rum. You're like, oh my god, this yeah. is like delicious. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I got through that first half in a, in a, in in days. <laughs> <laughs> good on you. Well, listen, Raoul, look, good to see you, man. Good luck with the launch of uh, the new um, the new channel, and take care. I'm sure we'll stay in touch. I'll be pestering you in a few yeah, minutes to come absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yeah, take care, my friend. Good to see you. All right, what do you think of that one? Did you enjoy that show? Always love getting Raoul on. He's a uh, he's such a smart guy. I love his macro thinking. I always learn loads from him. And yeah, this one just did go a little bit weird because, as I said, I was kind of like thinking. It was kind of making me rethink some things as we, we went on. And I'm trying to crystallize some of my thoughts with regards to kind of everything that's going on right now because we we do seem to be going through like a lot of weird times. It's been a very weird 2020. People keep telling me about the fourth turning. I know that's another thing I need to read. It seems like we're seeing the potential fall of Western liberal democracies, the things we've had in place since World War II. That's another topic that's hot on the agenda. And these CBDCs, yeah, I mean, look, I know Raoul sees some of the benefits of them and, you know, he's thinking ahead. And, you know, most people will end up having to use them. For me, it's just another argument for Bitcoin. I, I don't want to be in a situation where all my money is controlled by somebody else. I mean, I know it is in certain ways now, but, like, at least we have some freedoms by having access to cash or, or you know if we get a fine we have some choice over not to pay it and yeah this kind of like 
or auto access to our cash is kind of like automated part of the money system. I don't know. Don't like it. Scares the shit out of me. But, you know, as ever, Rao does an amazing job of explaining things to me. And like some of my recent interviews with Lynn Alden and Luke Roman, it's just an- another conversation where this macro stuff kind of just, again, as I said earlier, highlights Bitcoin. Like we all, we all should have much more conviction than we had in Bitcoin and we did like a year ago. I mean, I certainly do. Um, so yeah, great to get Raoul on. Lovely to chat to him. Always love having him on. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you could cope with my kind of like oh, thinking as I was going. If you've got any questions about this or any points you want to talk to me about this, do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, I've been asking every week if you can leave me reviews on iTunes and loads of you have. Although one of you wankers left me a one star, you bastard. Thanks for that. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's fine. I don't mind it. If if it's honest, that's absolutely fine. But if you can do, if you can take a couple of minutes, go and leave me a review on iTunes. I'll be very, very grateful for that. Only takes a couple of minutes. Outside of that, as I said, I got my new show out on Defiance. It's all about Trump and the elections and the kind of division that's opened up in US politics. A lot of work's gone into this. I hope you can check that out. That's available at defiance.news. Also, feedback, welcome. We'll look forward to hearing what you all think of that. Outside of that, have a great week. And I, oh, it's election tonight, so I'm going to be up late watching that. And um, yeah, I'll see you on Friday. Take care. Bye. <laughs>